Welcome back to the show, Brain Hearts. Hey, it's been a couple of weeks. I actually just changed jobs, so I've been a little busy onboarding with a new job, and that's taken up a bit of my time, but we've got some great interviews lined up for the next few weeks, and uh, thank you for your patience. If you have a minute, I would be super grateful if you would take some time to rate or subscribe to the show. If you do do that, I would love to thank you personally. So feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at Basic Brain Heart or on Instagram. Um, I'm under Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H underscore Camacho. And feel free to reach out to me there. I love interacting with you. I love hearing about the content you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. Uh, or if something in particular has touched you, because I know that these conversations have truly changed the way that I approach anything in the creative realm and even in some just life in general. Um, And so if there's anything specific you want to talk to me about, I would love to hear from you. So feel free to reach out. Okay, enough of that. Today, we have such a lovely guy on the show. His name is Will Beecher. You may not have heard of him before, but he is an up-and-comer in the stop-motion realm, and currently he's the director of animation for Ardman Animations, Early Man. That movie, I believe, is coming out next year and has some really big names attached to it. You may have heard of a few of these people before, Maisie Williams, Eddie Redmayne, Tom Hiddleston. It's going to be such a fun animated film, and we don't get into that too much because a lot of that information is under wraps as is, but... We get into a lot of Will's background. He knew what he wanted to do from a pretty early age, which is kind of rare. And he just took a very um, sensible approach to getting to where he wanted to be and had no problem sort of starting at the bottom and working really hard and working his way up. But he shares a lot of really actionable stories and things he did along the way that don't just apply to the animation world. They apply to us in any creative or even just um, professional discipline or pursuit. And so it's relevant no matter what uh, world you work in or live in. So please do listen and enjoy. And if you have any feedback or questions at the very end, of course, uh, Will shares uh, how you can get in touch with him. And also his wife is a creative as well and what she's up to these days. And they're just a, a great partnership and so supportive of each other. So I hope you enjoy today's conversation. And again, feel free to reach out with any feedback. Just a quick heads up, uh, right at the beginning of our conversation, Skype decided not to play nice with us. So there's a little bit of static for the first part of our conversation, but rest assured that goes away after just a couple of minutes. So bear with us. All right. As I always do, I'm going to get out of the way now and enjoy the conversation today with Will Beecher. Well, Will Beecher, thank you for taking some time. I know right now it's the evening for you. You're on London time. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Let's go ahead and start from the beginning, like we always do, and hear about little Will, little baby Will, (laughs) growing up. Um, If you don't mind just kind of sharing a little bit about your family story, your background, and maybe maybe some of the things that started to get you interested in storytelling and maybe stop motion or animation in general. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I grew up in a town uh, on the coast, the south coast of England, called Brighton. Oh, nice. It's a really sort of vibrant place full of lots of culture and art and loads of music and stuff like that. Oh, nice. And um, I had an older sister, so I came into a, a family sort of ready formed. Both my parents were academics, so they taught at the uh, Sussex University. Nice. So they're both lecturers there. And my dad in the end was a professor there. So I had uh, a family that was very um, hardworking, but, you know, I'd say workaholic almost. <laughs> wow. And my dad would get up every day at 6 a.m. write. He'd be writing a book or something. Oh, wow. So I'd quite often, I'd quite often uh, go and sit in his study that he had at the house and just listen to him writing his book. Oh, nice. Um, but, <laughs> I'm sure that was really no riveting. <laughs> yeah, it was lots of, uh, yeah, he used a dictaphone because he couldn't type. So, oh. so he'd literally be reading out sentences and I just remember lots of full stop, new paragraph, stuff like that. 
Um, That's great. What was the subject matter usually? Well, it was he was a professor of education. Oh, so it was gotcha. it was studying the whole process of education and how different sectors learnt through education. Oh, interesting. I, and I one day I I'm sure I'm going to read his book. <laughs> one day. <laughs> one day. Um, It'll but happen. I think it's a funny thing. I definitely grew up. My sister was then also very academic and did really well at school. Mm. And so I grew up feeling like I couldn't really compete. I don't think with those with those guys and I early on just really fell in love with art and artwork um, drawing mm. making stuff so throughout my childhood I'd just really enjoy drawing and the more sort of encouragement I got and I think my parents were so amazingly supportive mm. um, all the way through my sort of youth and teenage years but the more encouragement I got, the more I fell in love with it. And I had a couple of really good, I think, primary school teachers and mm. junior school teachers who just gave me little um, little bits of encouragement along the yeah. way that really made me feel like it was somewhere I felt like I belonged. Well, it sounds like a lot of that encouragement was coming from outside the home, from teachers. Um, were you getting a lot of that from inside the home or were your parents a little more uh, disconnected from the art world? Um do you know I think they really they really did encourage me um and mm. looking back on it now now that I've got kids myself I can see that you just as a parent you just want them to I guess g get into whatever it is that they want to get into but True. be confident about it and almost certainly my parents gave me the confidence to just keep plugging away mm. and even though it was something that was very alien to them um they yeah they they constantly sort of encouraged me to learn mm. so even though it wasn't an academic subject I sort of approached animation in the end as if it was a uh something I was studying That's and you cool. know that you know like writing letters to companies and um really just getting as much information about mm what it was to be in the industry and and the techniques of animation all of that stuff I think I got from them that's really cool so were you writing these letters um when you were still kind of in element or primary school um or did you wait till maybe you were getting a little closer to college age and, and trying to figure out what you wanted to do or did you were you just gung-ho right away as soon as you <laughs> love drawing um no I think I was really uh it, it was fairly organic the the way I ended up you know I probably at five five years old I remember being being encouraged by a teacher mm. who who was showing my parents it was a sort of open day at the school and it was probably one of my earliest memories of school and I everyone had drawn a picture of themselves and their families and I remember the teacher saying and sort of highlighting mine to my parents and saying oh look he's drawn he's drawn five fingers on each hand and I at the time just thought well that's a really odd thing to say because why wouldn't you do that um but I think lots of little things like that along the way made me think oh there's something you know I'm doing something right because that's I'm being told it's good um but I was never brilliant at drawing um sure and I'm still not brilliant at all but I uh, I just fell in love with you know learning I suppose yeah with with the art piece that's really cool did you did you find yourself being a little bit of a loner uh, or were you really socially adept or was art kind of your your outlet what kind of a kid were you yeah I think I uh, the, that's the other thing you know knowing that both my parents were academic and my sister was very academic and a lot of my school reports seem to say will is William is a bit of a dreamer <laughs> and I think basically I was just constantly daydreaming about you know uh, going off into dream worlds and that kind it. of stuff so I'm pretty sure that I was a bit uh, away <laughs> thinking about things when I should have been learning uh, maths and English oh, that's but, great no but you're yeah but, go ahead sorry uh, the the other thing is that I yeah it's like I think this came certainly from my dad who was a professor who like I said at the beginning he was always working like all the time mm. and when I did um, when I did get into animation, he was always telling me that I should read more. Um, Interesting. 
And I, the only thing I ever really read when I was growing up was Tintin, which I loved. <laughs> and so he, he just, he'd get really frustrated that I wouldn't read more. Mm. But then I realized when I did start um, getting into animation, all the things that I was doing, you could see them as quite academic things. I was sort yeah. of really properly studying it um, in, a, in a very observed way yeah. and making lots and lots of notes about it. And like I say, writing to people and just really investing in it. Absolutely. <laughs> in a, it's a different kind of academic pursuit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. It was, uh, but, but again, you know, writing letters and that kind of thing, I would not have done that. I'm sure had it not been for my parents encouraging me to learn sure. about what I was getting into. Well, absolutely. Did you find yourself really interested in a specific kind of animation? Were you, were you just kind of assuming I'm going to enter the world of 2d animation at the time um or did you really had you you know notice stop motion um i'd love to hear a little bit how that interest formed and how you started down that path oh yeah definitely yeah so um when i was about i think eight maybe eight or nine years old my parents my mum borrowed a video camera from the university that they taught at because i think they they'd sort of did it as a summer holiday activity thinking that me and my sister who's older would have fun with a video camera <laughs> nice. and I did just the sheer excitement when they brought this thing into the house um <laughs> we loved it and yes and so that was the first little taste I think of of making films and making movies mm. um and then every Christmas after that they borrowed this video camera that's great and one year I think probably the first year actually I'd seen on tv I'd seen someone doing a bit of animation with uh, some plasticine with this character disappearing into some quicksand, which is just Ooh. actually a, a very simple thing, but very pleasing visually because yeah. it just involves cutting away bits of the character and making it sink. Mm. And so I did this with this video camera really crudely, you know, just by pressing record and then pause. <laughs> nice. So super sort of crude, <laughs> but I loved it. I totally fell in love with it. That's awesome. And then... And then it, really it was like a hobby that I got more and more involved in. And so it, so the year, the, the end of the school year, I, I know that we'd had the camera, we'd borrow this camera and I did more and more animation on it. And most of the time it was like stop motion, which was using plasticine or little Lego figures, which I used as well. Yes. And, and, then, and then I was like, right, I've got to get my own camera because I just love doing this so much. So then I saved up all my pocket money for, I don't know, months and eventually wow. got this video camera for myself <laughs> and that awesome. was it. Then it was all, it was like 24 hours then. I, I was getting up before school and just making little films. Uh, and also, I mean, because I really wanted to learn about how to be a better animator, I then started studying Disney and going into 2D, and I think you can learn animation really well in 2D. It's a very good sort of grounding Absolutely. for, you know, how things move and uh, speeds and stuff. That's a very good point. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but you know, I and and there was various things like I'd do, I'd do summer sort of uh, theatre schools or puppet workshops nice. or just general sort of cartoon, lots and lots of arty. Um, weekend activities <laughs> nice. that obviously my my parents must have set up for me but they all sort of fed the fed the desire to get into more That's and more great I love it and did you end up pursuing that uh, in in college or university yeah that's right so I at this point I still didn't really think of it uh, as a career mm. it was just something a hobby yeah. that I loved doing and I got more into it and then a guy um well one of the two founders of, of Ardman Animations, the company that I now work for, uh, he came to do a talk in Brighton. And it was must have been when I was about 12, 12 years old. My mum took me to the cinema and we watched him do this talk about some of the films that Ardman mm. had been making. And at the very end, I went up and I asked him how to get into animation. Oh, that's cool. And he, yeah, he, he told me uh, about this exhibition that they were having and he, and he said that, that there would be more at this exhibition. I could see how the models were made. Mm. So then we went off to London. This was a few months later, I guess. Saw this huge Ardman exhibition, which just blew my mind in terms of oh, I bet. 
the, the technique and the it's, a, it's such a visually sort of satisfying mm. thing because you do have these physical models that exist and the mechanics inside them and and then the artwork on top of them the designs the storyboards all of that stuff it's incredible and there was a video playing at this thing a sort of behind the scenes video right at the end of it it was about an hour long was the address for Ardman animations in bristol oh nice so I I realised when I watched it the first time, there was this address on it, and then I watched it all again, but I filmed it with my video camera that I bought (laughs) to do animations, right? So I filmed the whole hour-long thing again, just so I could get the address at the end. I guess, you know, it was a lot harder back then, because you couldn't just look up an address very easy. So (laughs) So then I had the address for Ardman, and that was like a... Well, that was it then. I started writing them letters. So from the age of, I think, 12, I started writing to Ardman oh to ask goodness. them how I, how I could learn to be a better animator. And they were really good. I've got, I've still got the letters. I've still got the oh, replies. Wow. And they, they just, they were another step of the way encouraging me to, you know, get back into it. And they, they told me about the courses that ran around the country. Uh, they sent information about how Nick and Pete had got into animation themselves and it fueled again it was just more sort of fuel for me so that's really when I realized it was a you know it was a career that you could get into absolutely and and then it became my mission to to just um then I started looking at colleges so this is way before this is when I'm still at school but I started to think okay I really want to know what I need to study at school in order to get into the best college, in order to get into the industry. Sure, yeah. So at that point in the UK, there were there were about eight colleges that did animation. So it was quite easy to sort of go through them. Oh, nice. And uh, just find out a bit more about what they what they looked for and what the students were like that came out of them. Hmm. And I went to visit one of the colleges aged, I don't know, 15 or 14, maybe. And they told me, you know, they, they showed me some of the equipment and I learned a bit more about how to, to make stuff. That's cool. Now, so, did all of them specialize, have have some sort of specialty in stop motion or were they more specifically 2D and 3D animation? Yeah, at this point, it was almost all 2D. There wasn't gotcha. really much 3D. Um, but really, I suppose at this point, I was looking at more than anything I was looking at what grades and what's Hmm. what sort of uh other studies I had to do before I got there yeah yeah so I got a sense of the things that I needed to be good at sure um so so we do in this country we do GCSEs and then we do A levels Hmm. and that's that's like secondary school is GCSEs and then A levels is when you're about 16 17 years old and that's when you special in stuff nice um but all the way through my secondary school, I'd be doing sort of animation-related things, so making films, and and not just animation. I think I made loads of um, just short films as well with my friends, um, because it was just fun to do. Absolutely. I think they were That's terrible, <laughs> but really probably sure quite a good. They're fun to watch now. Yeah, I'd hate to see it, but I think the thing with the thing with animation is it actually it can be really slow, and with live action you can learn really quickly. So I think I learned a bit about filmmaking Mm. through making these bad live action films, Um, and then stop motion, which is quite there's quite a quick you know you get quite quick feedback. It's not like you have to render stuff. Yeah, that's true. Um, You know you can you can move a lump of plastine around and then half an hour later you can watch something that's quite could be more you know almost 10 seconds long it's amazing wow that's amazing that is amazing (laughs) bearing in mind it probably now would be uh that would be two weeks work (laughs) oh goodness that's crazy yeah i never thought of that stop motion is it does probably feel a little bit like a a marriage between some of the elements of, of live action filmmaking and some of the elements, of course, of, of animation with the mm. camera angles and all that. That's interesting. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And lighting as well. And oh yeah. Composition, all that stuff. Obviously. I can only imagine that you probably have to have a good knowledge and understanding of both those worlds in order to get it just right. That's, that's really interesting. Huh? 
I think for actually for students, lighting is one of the things that really sometimes you can have a really brilliantly conceived film and really beautiful puppets, but、mm. if they're not lit properly, it can really let it down because it sort of looks like a stop motion film. So, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's something I really really appreciated from the course that I was on. We had a few days of lighting, and it just makes a massive difference if it looks like a real film. I can imagine. I, I'm always fascinated by that piece of any stop motion movie I watch.、Uh, the lighting is just so brilliant. Of course, especially in Ardman films.、Um, yeah. But that's that's just so amazing. Wow.、Um, so in in the U.S., of course, when folks want to go to art school, especially if they want to get into the animation world, they all talk about Cal Arts. Cal Arts. Is、oh, there、yeah. is there a school in the UK that、um, anyone who wants to get into the animation industry typically aims for, in terms of university?、Uh, I, yeah, there's a couple of really famous ones,、um, but they're actually sort of postgrad courses. So there's gotcha, one called、okay. the, there's the National Film and Television School, which is the college that a lot of directors and producers and and animators、gotcha. have been to in the, over、okay. the years, including Nick Park. Nice.、Um, And then there's a Royal College of Art, which is, which is a sort of similar,、um, but slightly more, I'd say, slightly more art-based. So maybe more of the people coming out there, there would become involved in commercials and music videos.、Um, the National Film and Television School was a bit more production-based, so they team, get into teams and make films.、Mm. It's slightly more technical,、uh, commercial maybe. Sure. Sure. That's really cool. But they're they're the two they were the two that I was sort of had in my headlights <laughs>、yes. from early on that I knew were were really good,、um, and then there but I ended up actually I that was a postgrad course and I never got that far because I um gotcha because because of all these letters that I'd written to Ardman <laughs> over the years eventually I think like after about I don't know、um, it was a good. It was a good year or two of writing letters.、Uh, they said you could. They they agreed that I could go and visit the studio. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. So eventually, I got this、uh, this ticket to go and visit for the day, and I came over to Bristol, which is where Ardman's based. It's like the southwest of England. Oh man, how old、um, were you at this point? I, I was thirteen. Oh, I bet you were just almost fourteen.、So、<laughs> Very excited, and、uh, it was a. A day trip, and we we basically had this tour of the studios, and it was still before Ardman had been going for a, a good sort of almost twenty years by that point.、Wow. But it was still quite a small、um, amount of people that worked there. Sure. So the the lady that showed me round was、um, was one of maybe three people who worked in production, and they were currently shooting.、Um, Wallace and Gromit,、hmm. a close shave, which was the third. Yes, I'm very familiar、films. with. It. I love it.、Uh, so, it was so close to the deadline that they said we couldn't go in the studio because <gasps> the production was under so much pressure,、no. and was gutted that I didn't、oh. get to meet Nick Park.、Oh、But I was,、goodness. I was, despite that, I was really, really excited because I got loads of.、Uh, they let me take loads of photos. I got loads of conversations with. You know, with some of the people working there, and met Pete again, who the co-founder of the company. Yes.、Um, and it just, I yeah, it was a very inspiring day,、uh, which I came away from with just more desire than、mm. ever to to get into the industry. That's great. And did that did that start opening doors up for when you eventually was your first job with Ardman?、Uh, no, it wasn't. I. So I have,、um, uh, I had I had kept writing these letters to Ardman, but I also started writing to other companies as well.、Mm. And I got this directory. It was like a phone book, but it was just animation companies in the UK.、Oh, nice. I wrote to all of them, every single one. <laughs> I love it. And I wrote I wrote them all. I started sending off my my you know animations that were done as a child. So just really. Basic sort of looking back on it, animations, and all I wanted was feedback from anyone that would give it to me. And so, some of those companies said, "Yeah, sure, come along. We, we've seen your work, and it's nice. And feel free to come in and visit for a day."、Nice. So then I started seeing 
some of the other companies around. And what did your family uh, think, think of that as you kept getting these appointments to be able to visit studios? Did they start taking it more seriously with you? Yeah, they, you know, they continued to, I guess they continued to sort of nurture my belief in great, pursuing it. it. They, they never, they never once said, you're going to have to, you know, this is, this is just a cartoon industry. You can't, sure. it's not something you should do. They, they totally went with it and they had to ferry me around quite a lot as well (laughs) yes no doubt constantly (laughs) being invited to different bits of the country (laughs) that's great so um we went to there was a film festival that was my first sort of uh, exposure to lots of short films and feature films Mm. and that was in cardiff and it's where they premiered i think it was the uk premiere it might have been european premiere of nightmare before christmas oh and Henry Selick was there to introduce the film and I went and saw that and and again that was like it sort of opened up a whole new side because I'd loved all Aardman's work Hmm. for as long as I could remember but then I started to see a whole new world and and then started looking at Jan Svankmeyer and lots of other sort of interesting and different uh, artists who worked in clay. So cool I love it. Mm. So then, um, so yeah. did you did doors start opening elsewhere for you since Ardman was not your first gig? Oh yes. Yeah. So um, I think the very first company I went to. Do you did you know about Spitting Image? Do you remember Spitting yes, Image? Yes. Yes. did. Yeah. So my sister had worked um, with a, a producer years before, okay. um, who had set up a company with one of the guys from Spitting Image, and they started doing these commercials in the UK for Pepper Army, and they're really nice. f- sort of famous uh, <laughs> yes. in the 90s. Um, and I got to go and visit the studios, and I, that was my first in, basically. That was the <laughs> first great. studios I, I sort of went to, and I formed a relationship with them and kept going back. And so that was the first place I went, and I was a runner. And it was in London. Nice. Okay. I was sort of too too young to be officially working as a runner. <laughs> so I, I guess I was about 15 or something. But I said, please just let me come along and run. I'll do whatever you like. I'll make cups of tea and stuff. And I did that for a few different jobs, for a few commercials. And that was really interesting because I got to see the commercials industry and how it worked. That's awesome. And the animation, you know, the animations on a commercial are quite there's quite a different pressure uh, and a sort of animator called Ken Lidster, who is Canadian. Uh, he, he was the main animator and director on these jobs. Gotcha. And I was just fascinated because it was all in an open studio. So I could physically watch him working. This is something you really don't get to see very often. Yeah. Um, like stop motion is, it's normally all closed off. Um, when the animators are working, they're on their own quite often. That makes sense. Yeah. But he was there right in front of me and I, all I had to do was make tea for everyone and I could sit and watch and I'd take notes and then when he'd have a break, I'd ask him how he did stuff. So that was <laughs> That's amazing. that was like a, being at a sort of film school. I think I did get one, there was one lesson that I learned through doing that um, that running for the company Loose Moose and, and that was that once or twice there was, there was someone on the crew who wasn't part of the company but he was hiring the equipment out and he was... He was really mean. I don't know why, but he really yeah. didn't like me. Oh yikes! And and it was it was horrible. And he said something to me, like, um, I I think I tried to make a joke. I was going to buy them all uh, magazines and stuff uh, <laughs> from the newsagents, and I he, he I don't know what I said, but he said, "You're not here to make jokes, or you're not paid to make jokes, or something like that." And it really upset me at the time, yeah, partly because I wasn't getting paid. I was just <laughs> oh, doing it for, you know, because I wanted to learn. Important but it detail, taught me yes. quite a, yeah, it, it did teach me. It was the first lesson, I guess, along the way, which was to be nice to people. I think in, in stop motion, it's very rare to come across anyone who isn't nice. Mm. It's a really lovely industry to work in. Um, do you think but that's it just because everybody think... just has to be so patient naturally <laughs> with yeah, the process maybe. and maybe they're patient I think with it's... people too? <laughs> yeah, I guess it's a slightly quirky industry and it's 
you know, I hear about live action shoots and there's quite high pressure and there's some egos involved and you get that in animation, but not, you know, in stop motion. It seems, it seems rare. Um, But I, I, yeah, it it just made me think, I don't want to be, I don't want to be like that to anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I, I think I, I constantly try and remember that because it's easy when you're in the industry mm. and when you're high up to be a bit dismissive about what you do. You constantly see new people coming in. Sometimes they're naive. Sometimes they're a bit arrogant. Mm. Um, I don't think I was displaying those skills, but what I what I don't want to do is ever take for granted the fact that, you know, everyone's got to start at the bottom and work their way up. Oh, the other thing is that I'm really pleased that I did work as a runner and I worked as a runner for, uh, I guess, maybe about eight or nine jobs. Wow. Um, but it, it gives you a real sense of the the studio and what all the different people do. And so when you are working, you know, higher up than a runner, you just appreciate absolutely uh, all the levels that are involved. And probably it makes you a better leader because you understand everyone's role and you've been in those roles and you don't think anyone's below you. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. I think that's right. My first, um, my first sort of taste of, uh, I guess, working not as a runner was <laughs> I went to Ardman like um, just before I went off to university. I managed to get in contact with Ardman and get an interview. And Great. I went in to see them and they were just um, just sort of starting out on Chicken Run. Ah, so this was their first yes. feature film. And I went into the studios and I met the head of model making and sort of showed the work that I've been doing. And she said, OK, this this is your you're at the right level to come in and do some work experience with us um, in model making, which is. It, obviously a really impo- important yeah, part of, of Ardman. And a couple of weeks later, I got a phone call out of the blue from the BBC who'd been given my details. And they were making something called Robbie the Reindeer, which is like a half-hour Christmas special oh. um, directed by Richard Golizowski, who's someone who's worked at Ardman a lot. He was their first employee, in fact. Oh, cool. Um, so, yeah, so I ended up doing model making and all that whole summer I was a model maker so I worked on Robbie for a couple of weeks and then I went off to Ardman just before going to college and did I think it was about three weeks um press molding which is this job basically it's like the runner of the model making industry so I was pressing plasticine wings uh for the chickens so many chicken wings <laughs> yeah so many wings who knew who knew there are a lot <laughs> of wings in that movie it's <laughs> sort of um i don't know it's not like a highly skilled job there is some skill to it but obviously it's there was it's it like manual labor because you just gotta constantly uh sort of press out all these plasticine wings all day long so i did that for a few weeks sure and uh that was my first in and then That's I kept great. going back. So I was at college for three years. I went off to Edinburgh to study. And every summer holidays, I would go back to Ardman mm. and I'd be a, a model maker. Like I started off on work experience. Then I was a junior trainee assistant model maker. And, <laughs> and each year I sort of moved up the ranks a little bit. And uh, at the end of it all, when I graduated, they were just about to start making Curse of the Were Rabbit. Ah, yes. And that's when I got my first sort of proper gig at Ardman and I made eyes. That was my job. <laughs> also a very yeah. important thing. Yeah. That's eyes. Really so cool. I made eyes for Wallace and Gromit before the shoot started. <laughs> so this is about six months before the animation started on the film. And I was in model making. And by this time, the the animation department knew that I was really interested in becoming an animator hmm. but they said you know come into model making it'd be a great place to you know you can work before the film um, help build up the puppets and then perhaps there'll be an opportunity for you after that to move into animation that's cool so yeah so that was it I then moved to Bristol with my now wife Eve 
and we uh, set up here and I spent six months making eyes. I made about a thousand five hundred eyes. Oh, oh goodness. I, I think at one point I thought I can't do this anymore. I'm going to leave the industry. I can imagine. <laughs> but just as I was feeling like that, I got a break. What was the What was the break? Uh, well, I I spent the three years at college. Basically, I loved every minute of it, and I I knew all the way through what I really wanted to do was to to be a stop motion animator. Mm. And so, in my final year, um, I just really prioritized making a film that would hopefully get me a job at Ardman. Mm. And I, all the summers that I was at Ardman, I'd be asking directors and animators what it was they looked for in a showreel. So really I, I whittled it down. It, it came back to three points. One was make a film that's really simple. One was make a film that's under six minutes. And one was make a film that shows off your strengths. Don't try and do everything you know because it's so tempting in stop motion to spend all your time you know there's so many elements there's building the puppets there's designing the set and making the set animating lighting music editing you know all of it directing so I just really focused in on on trying to make a film that sold me as an animator Hmm. and that was um that was my grad film called Boxed In, and it really was meant to just be a, a sort of a showreel, I suppose. Sure. Um, but it, it went, because I really loved making it, and I spent way too long, I mean, I, I didn't follow my own advice, but <laughs> I spent great. way too long making the puppets, and yes. I think I hadn't started filming, you know, there were about two months left, but I I loved it, and it I've just about finished it, uh, not in time to get a decent grade, which I'm sure would have upset my my parents, but they didn't show it. But I did finish it in time to get a really good screening at the Edinburgh Film Festival. Oh, that's great. Um, which was a brilliant sort of launch pad. That's fantastic. I love that you, like even as a child and, and up through your career, it sounds like you've never been afraid to ask questions and just just find out what you need to know in order to succeed. I think that's something a lot of people are so afraid to do. They're so afraid, you know, if they if they know they want something or they're passionate about something, they're so afraid to approach anyone who may have some insight and answers. And I love that you've never, you know, maybe you've been afraid a few times to approach certain individuals, but you've just gone for it, and and that mm. has definitely helped to set you up for success. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and I. And actually, I was really, I was really shy, and I was quite a shy child and a really shy teenager, and um, but so driven to yeah. to learn about animation that I guess once you've written sort of ten letters <laughs> and not What's heard back from <laughs> nine of them, you sort of yes. get a bit of a thick skin. And like you say, That's it's true. so it's um, how can you learn? You can't teach yourself everything. But yet there there are these people in the industry that all you have to do is ask. And, and quite often, well, throughout my life, I've found that they're really happy to tell you as long as you're not wasting their time, as long as you're not sure. um, asking for no reason. You know, if they know that you want to do it because you're passionate, then everyone I've asked has been so happy to help, you know, all the way through and all the way right up to, to someone like Nick Park, who who was one of the people along the way that I had to ask for, sure. you know, for, for feedback. That's so cool. And, and that's, in a way, that's how I got the job. Mm. So I made this film and and I got into Ardman, um, into model making, and I thought, right, now what I have to do is get my film in front of Nick and see if he <laughs> likes it. And so I vividly remember, you know, I was building up to it probably for a good couple of weeks oh I can only imagine and I, I just every time I'd see him in the corridor I'd be like he, he had no idea who I was um, but I <laughs> obviously sort of obsessed with the, the company course, and what he'd done yes. and I one day I just I was walking along this path and he was walking towards me the other way I just thought it's now or never so I stopped 
and I stopped him and I said, oh, I'm really sorry. I've, excuse me. I hope you don't mind. Um, I just I finished this film and I'd love it if you'd watch it. And uh, he was like, yeah, sure. Give it to my give it to my assistant and I'll have a look at it. And, oh, and so I did I bet that. That was and terrifying to ask. It was absolutely <laughs> terrifying. And then it was just a, a really nervous sort of few days Wait and see where I thought, oh, has he seen it? Does he like it? Um, and he he really liked it. And he he stopped me a couple of days later. And I uh, honestly, it was the best. I think it was the moment in in my life up to that point that just I was so excited because oh, he. This is the this is Nick Park, one of the <laughs> one of the people who got me really interested in animation. Yes. And he stopped me in the corridor and he said, "We loved your film. Oh, Do you want to be an animator?" Oh, I bet and you I just, just wanted like, to scream. <laughs> yeah, I did. I really did. I and and he yeah he he said, "Oh well, I'll talk to I'll talk to the producer and we'll see what we can do." Oh, wow. And I was. At this point, I guess I'm about 20, 21 or 22, quite quite young to be yeah. getting into that particular role on a feature. Um, but then Steve Box, the co-director, stopped me as well in the, in the canteen and he said, we watched your film and, and we really loved it. Did you, do the, did you do the lighting? Did you do the animation? And he asked me all this oh, stuff. Wow. And he said that they, they, are so, they were so used to seeing... Uh, student films which were really bleak and depressing and ended sure uh, really sadly <laughs> yes. um and mine sort of has a twist in it so they they thought it was another one of those uh and then and then they were just really overjoyed um that it, it, that it resolved and yes. was actually uh, not one of those that's great uh, yeah so, so that was that was my it felt like you know for half my life i've been building up to that point and then he, and then Nick and Steve said, "Would you like to animate on Curse of the Wear Rabbit?" I I love that. And and recently, uh, when Mark Osborne was on the show, we were talking about the point that you know don't ever wait for permission to wait to make something. And of yeah. course, you had to make something for school, but you had a bigger uh, sort of plan in mind, and that drove the mission and vision probably of the piece. And I, I love that you didn't wait for permission <laughs> to make yeah. something to try to, to try to go for that animator position. I love that so much. And I think that's a recurring theme in so many creatives who have what most regular people would say made it or, you know, been relatively successful in the creative world. Um, and, you know, you don't wait for permission. You just do it. You just learn. You ask questions. And that's so beautiful. I love that story so much. Um, <laughs> when when you first entered the scene as a, a new animator, was it, was it a little overwhelming? Because up to then, any stop motion you'd done or any animation you'd done had just been probably a bit of a solo gig, especially your, your piece uh, that you'd just shown to Nick Park. Um, was it different to sort of be in a collaborative environment where you sort of had to learn your place and uh, and start learning how to take the vision that the director was casting and, and make that come to life. I'm curious how your initial foray into the world of animation uh, felt. Uh, yeah, terrifying. I can imagine. Uh, well, it's re just really uh, so exciting though as well. Yes. It was the most amazing mixture of joy and fear and, um, I just I'm sure that I felt under so much pressure to deliver <laughs> yes. um, th but the the way that the structure at Ardman which seems really good to me is that mm. they're, they're quite um, well they're very good at sort of nurturing and bringing on young talented people in lots of different mm. um, sort of uh, backgrounds so in animation you'd start off a bit like in model making you start off as an assistant so I started as a trainee assistant animator and that basically is your first step and you're making mouth shapes and you're prepping characters and puppets and basically helping the animators above you sure. and they were sort of legendary animators uh, working on that film so lots of them had been at Ardman for well since Chicken Run um, hugely sort of um, talented but also 
very open mostly to sharing information that's great and so you know you start off just helping them out and doing the odd still and then you'll get your first shot on something and it'll normally be like a close-up of a a button being pressed so I had a few of those so they were the first sort of tastes of actually shooting for real that's so cool and but even even though they seem like simple shots oh I can only imagine they're really really hard (laughs) yeah they're really hard to do because you scrutinize a shot like that so Mm. much and uh and on Where Rabbit, it was all on film as well. So it was on 35mm film, which meant that it was very difficult to sort of see what, what you're doing and and uh, undo any mistakes. Oh, Everything, once, you, once you'd taken the frame on film, that was it. Oh. Every morning, the entire crew would watch the rushes. Oh, so <laughs> all your work would be up in front of everyone. And it was, it was so terrifying. There's nowhere to hide, yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> But then I think that was really good as well because I sort of it's so intense that learning curve. You don't want to make a mistake, and if you do, you learn from it very quickly because you don't want to make it again. So I I yes. got a good sort of um, a few months of doing those shots, and then slowly Nick and Steve, who had seen my film and obviously thought I had the potential to to do more, they pushed and gave me more and more shots with the characters. So by the end of the film, I was one of the, you know, the regular uh, animators, I suppose. Oh, that's great. But I bet it was like drinking from a fire hose, just getting all that information and learning all these new skills. That's so cool. I love it. Yeah, it was brilliant. And then after after Curse of the the Were-Rabbit, did you, uh, what what then, what projects did you start taking on? Was Shaun the Sheep kind of on the radar? uh, Yeah, I think the first, the first, series of Sean started up about that time straight after curse of the wear rabbit i there were three things i applied i applied to work on Sean on the first series of Sean um i applied for a short film scheme which was drawn by channel 4 and i applied for another short film scheme which was uh, like a lottery funded thing nice. and i didn't get onto Sean um and I think partly because of my experience at that point, they, sure. they were starting up this series and they basically had the entire uh, crew of Curse of the Were-Rabbit to choose from. And I think yeah. I'm really I'm really lucky in a way that I didn't do that because I ended up getting both of the other things, which were these two short films. Nice. And without a doubt, that gave me more... Um, more experience of filmmaking, but also in the eyes of Nick and Steve and Pete and Dave, they started to see that I was someone who who wanted to, you know, who, who wanted to direct and make sure. films as well as as well as animate. That's awesome. And they started giving you that chance. If you don't mind, I'd love to talk a little bit about um, the art of dialogueless. I don't know what what you call it in the industry where there's no dialogue storytelling because I'm always so fascinated by this. I know Pixar oh, yeah. loves to do this and their short films. There's no dialogue. It's just completely visual. Um, and I know that, of course, Shaun the Sheep um, with both the TV series and the movie has has been dialogueless. Um what are the unique challenges of telling stories that way that, that you've noticed at least along the way? I, it's, a, it's a good question because I think it's very hard. Um, it's hard to write scripts and storyboard things. I can imagine. Um, that don't have <laughs> words. Yeah. I don't really know how Mark and um, Mark and Golly, who made Sean the movie, uh, I just, I'm really impressed with how they, how they pulled that off because they <laughs> yes. you know it's a it's one thing doing a seven minute episode or like yeah. a morph episode which is a minute or too long but yeah the whole feature film I, I don't know it's amazing <laughs> but, but it, it's a dream it's a sort of dream thing for an animator because you get to express you get ownership almost of the whole mm. thing if you're if you're working on something like Sean it really is down to the performance uh, to sell what's going on so it's a great sort of challenge uh i love working with the actors as well when we when we do feature films that have you know amazing actors 
Um, of but, course, and you're doing that right now. I know we can't talk too much about Early Man, but um, can you give us a little bit of a taste of who who's been involved in that as far as the characters are concerned? Yes, um, I can say what what's sort of already been said, which is that we've got um, the film uh, is led by Eddie Redmayne and um, Timothy Spall is on the on the list. Um, Amazing people. <laughs> really, really incredible actors. Yes. Uh, Maisie Williams as well yes. and Tom Hiddleston are all wow. playing key roles, and it's it's an um, sort of one of the things that I've loved the most about the role I'm now in, which is that um, animation director role, is that I've had this insight into the process. So in the past, I've, I've worked in um, model making and then animation. But what I've always been interested in... storytelling at that point, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's the whole... I, I love everything about filmmaking, really. And so on this film, I was able to follow nick for about a year and a half before we started shooting and just see him directing these actors in the sound studios in london mm. and then seeing how that sort of how the script feeds the the actors and then how the how the dialogue that that he gets yes. from that performance then feeds into the the shoot and the studio floor so we do we always do the sound first and there'll be all the scratch voices on there, which are quite often Nick <laughs> playing lots of different parts. That's great. And then, but, but by the time the animation team get hold of those, uh, start doing those shots, we've got the, the genuine actors there. And obviously it just, it takes it on a level no, that you can't great. predict. That's fantastic. And I know that that's, that's the only question I'll ask about early man. Cause I know it's, it's all under wraps at this point, but um, that sort of brings me to another question, which is now that you're the uh, director of animation, um, have you noticed any um, key skills that you've had to learn in terms of communication? Because um, it seems that there's always that uh, piece where not everyone gets to be involved in the full story piece. So you're probably working with animators who didn't get to sit in on those sessions and they don't necessarily have the full picture, but you do to some degree, along with Nick, mm. of course, passing on that vision. Do you find that that's ever a, a tricky thing to do to really make sure everybody kind of has the same thing in mind and, and they're all going for the same uh, sort of look and feel and and emotion. Um, have you found that 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 that's difficult to do in in the world of stop motion, or has it been maybe maybe there's a tool that you use or the storyboards take care of that? I'm just curious if that's a struggle at all. That is is really is really hard. <laughs> I'm, I, I think imagine, it's because it's so visual. It's, yeah. <laughs> well, it's um, th like so the in a way I suppose the easy thing is that all the animators are given the same puppets and the same mouth sets. So they've sure, got identical sure. models. So you've got your main actor, say, um, Doug, who's the, the, the key sort of caveman in the film. We've got all the different characters and we've got multiple multiples of each of the, the leads in the oh, film. I can imagine, yeah. So all, all those animators who have their own slight individual styles, they all have to tie into the same performance. And it is really, Ooh. I'm really conscious of trying to make sure that everyone does have, you know, the best direction and the best information. And it's a totally new skill, I think, for me. It's uh, it's different, obviously, to animating, where you're yeah. you're working on a sort of micro detail in a way. You're yes. solely responsible for a, a little piece, a moment in the film, and you can you can sort of see it unfolding and and hopefully it's good and at the end of it you know it's your sort of thing but the role that i'm in now is so um hard to quantify um you just sort of uh i spend all day talking to animators like acting stuff out filming it yeah, and really yeah, trying to yeah. just demonstrate what it is that's not just in my head but that is nick's film yes. so it's it's his sort of portrayal trying to get that across a crew of 30 people is a massive <laughs> challenge. Uh, I think yes. it, I, I'm really, honestly, they're, they're a really incredible bunch of, of artists and it's such an amazing sort of position to be in to see see this film unfolding yes. uh, in front of me in the studio. It's, 
But I can imagine getting that vision out is really tricky. Sometimes verbally communicating what's in your head is just so hard. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And that's why I think we do, we use video quite often. Um, But so we'll, we'll act out little segments in the film we'll do these live action videos which which are really good shorthand for the directors and animators so we know we're talking about the same kind of things but even then you you know every like all creatives I think everyone's so individual everything's so subjective that I might direct one person one way and have to completely talk to someone a different way in order to get the, the same yeah, kind of thing up your style of leadership i think that's yeah great. yeah <laughs> but it's it's organic as well which is another it's a sort of nice part of stop motion which is that you can't once you once you set some someone going and they spend you know maybe a day but it could be up to three weeks maybe even longer on a single wow. shot yeah. you can't change it you can't then <laughs> yes. at the end you can't see a bit that doesn't quite work and oh. and easily fix it yes. so you end up with a a really unique uh, every single shot is different and always will be wow and i bet it's tricky not to micromanage as well because you have pressure on you because you're you're making really nick parks film and you want to make sure that it's right and 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 it it encapsulates his vision um, and you want to trust everyone and you want to really try to communicate but at the same time i'm sure there's that there's that nagging feeling of sort of wanting to micromanage a little bit just to make sure that everything is just right. I'm sure it's quite the, quite the, the leadership challenge, but it sounds like the team is just fantastic. They are. Yeah. And it, it's a, it's a challenge, but it's a really, it's an amazing thing to watch. You know, I'm, a, I'm in a really privileged position because I think they're such a good team of people. That's fantastic. Well, we will look forward to seeing that. Is it going to be in theaters around the world or is there going to be? A Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. It's going to have, it'll be premiering in, in the UK at the end of January. So from that point on, it'll be going around the world. That's, and that's exciting. Really, we'll be it's there. Very, it's been a long, you know, it's been a long time coming. I think yes. Nick's last film was uh, Loaf and Death. So I'm, oh, I'm really nice. excited to see it as well as everyone else i'm like watching it as a fan so (laughs) i'm gonna be yeah it's a big deal that's awesome yeah really 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 big that's so fantastic well congrats this is exciting i'll I'll be excited to see it all unfold um and i've used up more than your hour (laughs) but i just have a couple of quick last questions for you if you don't mind Um, no absolutely one of them being um knowing that a lot of folks that listen to the podcast are creatives of all stripes, you know, they could be, of course, just looking for uh, different ways to be creative in leadership, or maybe uh, they're on, in the theater. If you were speaking to a, maybe a small group of various creatives, and you wanted to just say a few words that were encouraging um, to those who maybe haven't made it yet, and even those who have made it and maybe are feeling a little burned out or stuck um, what might you share with them just from your own story and heart? Um, I, one of the things I think that you only get with hindsight is that you, you do need to persevere. Um, it's really, it's really uncommon for things to happen straight away, particularly in yes. the creative industries. So um, you, you like, you're going to, if you love doing it, mm-hmm. then I think you will get there. I, I really do believe that if if it's something that you're driven to do because you have a passion for it or you love it, and then you just got to... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you, it's not easy. I think it's... No. It can be a very difficult thing, you know, both financially and um, in terms of yes. family and, you know, relationships. It's It's like you've got to give quite a lot to it. It's not an easy job to do and work in That's the creative industry. And I think it's interesting in your story um, that you got a lot of your sort of journey and did a lot of the hard work of getting to where you want to be, it sounds like, before you had kids. Um, And so you kind of had had established yourself a little bit. What might you say to someone who who already has kids and and that always sort of (laughs) makes you second guess taking any risks? Um, yeah and maybe um, doing a job that would make you happier as opposed to a job that that is secure and of course we can't <laughs> we have to be always careful with what we say but you know what might you say to somebody who who is a little more cautious but they're they're just 
dying in their maybe line of work that they know they weren't meant for? Oh, so it's just, it is a really hard thing because I, um, I've got a hugely supportive family. You know, my, my parents, when I was growing up, obviously my wife now who, who also works in the creative industries, but honestly, without her support, I couldn't be doing Mm. what I'm doing. So I'm not going to suggest that it's going to be easy for everyone. Um, But I think I, think you it is the kind of thing that if you can do it then you really should do it and you've just got to plug away maybe maybe the one thing that I can say that's sort of obvious from my experience is to get feedback Hmm. like don't struggle on your own because you might be just going down the wrong path and as soon as you open yourself up to some sort of feedback from someone who you respect or from someone who works in the industry you're going to it's just a shortcut then to getting yeah. closer and closer. That's, that's so, fabulous yeah. advice. I love it <laughs> because it's, it's so obvious, but so few of us do it. <laughs> it's hard though, isn't it? it is. It's really hard yeah. to ask, particularly because you, you know, you care about the answer, but oh, I think yes. if you want to go somewhere, you know, <laughs> you're going to need to hear the answer at some point. This so is, this is the truth. We've got to open ourselves <laughs> up to the truth here. Yeah, and and like um, I think some of your other some of your other podcasts have suggested, you have to learn from your mistakes. It's the only way, really, you're going to learn. So you have to not only be persevering with it, but you also know that along the way you're going to get told some stuff that hurts a bit. Yeah, but it's all part of getting to where you're hoping to go. But take it and make yeah, make it into something. Don't be afraid of that. That's a really, really good point as well. Because you feel I think especially in the arts, you feel like anything you make is a part of yourself. And if somebody <laughs> critiques yeah. it, then it feels like they're critiquing you as a person, which in Absolutely. some cases that may be true and it's painful, but I'm learning more and more myself that anytime someone is brave enough to tell me the truth, um, that is a gift. Even if it's someone I might not like but they they have taken the time to tell me the truth. I think that is something that I should value and take very seriously. And it's been a painful journey, but it's one that you're absolutely right. It's, it's definitely, it's a gift. Mm. Oh, the, it's, it's also sub, subjective, you know, so yeah. it's a, it's a hard thing. That's why in a way you need to ask someone who you respect or whose work you like, because mm. everyone's going to give you a different answer. Um, that's a tr- you know, that's it, a good point too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's hard, like you say. It's really p- personal, isn't it? It is personal. <laughs> yeah. That's that's fantastic. Well, Will, I've taken up so much of your time. I I do know your wife is is very talented as well, and she's up to some cool stuff. And I'd I'd love it if you could clue the audience in on what she's up to these days before we wrap it up. I would love to do that because she's like I say, she's definitely supported me. Uh, she worked at Ardman as well. She's been a storyboard oh, yeah. artist uh, and a 2D animator working with some brilliant people along That's the way, great. like Joanna Quinn, who's a great 2D animator over here. Um, but yeah, Eve, my wife, is uh, she's just um, written and illustrated her first children's picture book. Wow. Which, which is a, it's like um, using a lot of the skills that she had from storyboarding but also learning a whole new range of skills. You think when you go from, you imagine that when you've been a 2D animator and you've drawn 25 pictures, you know, 24 pictures for every second of footage, you imagine that doing a, like a 12 page picture book might be quite a simple thing. No, but honestly, it's so complicated. Oh, I can only imagine. That's so cool. Does the book have a title yet that we can hear about? Yes, yeah, it comes out um, next February, and That's it's called exciting. Looking After William. Oh. I think it's got a distribution in the US as well. Um, but she's got a a blog, and if she's on Twitter, if you're on Twitter, oh it's yeah, what is Eve. her what's her blog and her Twitter handle? It's uh, Eve S Coy, is Twitter. Awesome. I think that's her blog as well. It's it's blog. Uh, Blogspot. Awesome. I'm going to be looking that up and making sure we share that uh, in the notes for the podcast. Go oh, Eve. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I, I super look forward to, to hopefully we'll have her, her on the podcast in the future. <laughs> when her books That'd be amazing. Go. 
That's yeah. awesome. I love it. And and on the flip side, if people want to uh, keep up with what you're up to these days, where can they find you? So I'm also on Twitter, uh, Will underscore Beecher. And I've got a website, which is Will Beecher. Now, my name sounds like it's got more ease in it than it actually has. <laughs> so it's it's Will Beecher, which is written Betcher at... Um, Sorry, it's willbeecher.co.uk. Fantastic. Uh, I've got various things on there. <laughs> nice. And so you can see my, I think you can see a link to my um, grad film that I was yeah, talking about. And the other awesome. Thoughts. Yeah. Absolutely. And I did get a chance to watch it and it's fantastic. I'll be sharing links to all oh. those beautiful, <laughs> beautiful creations. Will, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And thank you, Hannah. It's been great to talk to you. Say goodbye to your little friend. Thanks for listening to Basic Brainheart. I'm not great at farewell, so uh, that'll do, pig. Check back soon for more heart pumping, brain boosting content.